Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind. I'm Brian McAllen. Over the years, I've taken you all on a journey, talking to leaders of various vocational rehabilitation services around the country and asking them how they help the blind get the jobs of their dreams. Today, we're heading to Virginia. It's the home of the Virginia Department for the Blind and Vision Impaired, or DBVI. They do more than help the blind Virginians achieve quality employment outcomes. The department works to help the visually impaired children succeed in school. DBVI also works in the community to support the blind and visually impaired and their causes. We're also going to hear about some passionate and giving volunteers from Virginia who are offering their quilt-making skills. Joining us to talk about some of DBVI's extraordinary work is DBVI's Education Coordinator, Jill Tomlinson. The News in Advance paper says, from Lynchburg says, that she works in the department's Roanoke office. Welcome, Jill. Thank you, Brian. It's good to be here. It's great having you here, too. Jill, let's get to know you first. You're the Education Coordinator of the Virginia Department for the Blind and Vision Impaired in their office in Roanoke. What do you do in this position? Brian, generally, the education coordinator, we have six district offices. We are generally the initial point of contact. If a parent, a doctor, or a teacher visually impaired, or anyone in the community wants to make a referral on a child from ages birth through high school, that's the essential part of the job is making contact, establishing a positive relationship with the area doctor's offices so they know who to send a referral to in the Roanoke area. We also support and coordinate regional training for our teachers of the visually impaired. Roanoke County, the department, serves 19 jurisdictions, so I'm constantly trying to support my teachers of the visually impaired get input for training that will meet their needs. And one of the most important parts of our job is collaborating with early intervention specialists serving children ages birth through two. And we also work with school divisions where there is no teacher of the visually impaired as well as private or parochial schools to ensure that those children's needs are being met and they're able to access the instructional program. Do those private schools include Montessori schools and religious schools? Yes, they do. They would not be served by the public school entity, but we would be providing services to them from the Department for the Blind and Vision Impaired Education Services Department. You're already talking about DBVI's special education services program. What does this program entail? The program is all about enabling access for children with a variety of visual impairments. They have varying degrees of vision. And so the main thing is to make sure that these children with visual impairments have access. We're trying to level the playing field to make sure they have the adaptive 
materials, specialized equipment, and whatever their uh, reading or literary medium is, making sure they have access to large print, to braille books, to digital textbooks, and teaching them to independently download those digital textbooks. As we're talking about independence here, what do you think parents of blind and visually impaired kids, what, what do you think they should do to help their kids learn, grow, and become independent? I think, first of all, it's very important for the parents to learn how to advocate for the visual learning needs of their child. It's important for them to understand the nature of their child's visual impairment and understand if there are additional disabilities which are impacting their child's development, helping the child to learn about the world through experiential activities, of course, beginning in the home with hands-on opportunities, using their other senses, making sure that the parent is naming objects in the home if the child is blind or has very low vision so they have a name to associate with a concrete object in the home or in the environment. I think the other two things that are important is establishing consistent routines so the child can anticipate what's coming next and for the parent to even start very early with organizational skills, helping the child to pick a designated spot for glasses, for shoes, or whatever personal belongings they have or special toys. So they're learning good tracking and search patterns, learning how to use their residual vision at a very early age. So these skills will generalize from home to community to the school setting. Offering that support, I think, is very important. What does the department do for the families and the newborns, the babies, and the toddlers before they start school? We work collaboratively with the Infant and Toddler Connection of Virginia, and this is for ages birth through two. In Virginia, when a toddler is approaching their third birthday at a certain point in the year, they are eligible to attend a public school program. So we are working collaboratively with early intervention specialists, trying to help them understand how the loss of vision will impact typical development. We're working a lot on coaching the families. Coaching, I would say, is the number one thing, trying to help the parents understand how to work with their child. A lot of times children with visual impairments don't know how to use their hands to explore. And so learning to use the hands is one of the biggest, most important things, getting the child to reach, giving them curiosity, trying to build curiosity, bringing the world into them. So I would say that's our biggest role in working with the birth through to population. We're trying to share resources with the parents, helping them to advocate for their child's visual learning needs, and then working collaboratively with the early intervention specialist, providing training to them. You mentioned providing this training and this information to parents and educators, not only of education, but also visual development relating to blind and visually impaired infants. Can you explain the visual development a little bit more to our audience? When I'm talking about visual and visual development, I'm talking about understanding the type of vision impairment that the child has, if there are 
other additional disabilities which may be impacting or slowing down the child's developmental progress. It's important for parents to understand what are age-appropriate expectations, especially for a child with multiple disabilities. These children are going to require more wait time. It's going to take them longer to do tasks. And part of our job is helping a parent to understand how to set up a task in the natural environment of their home. Knowing how to use some of the toys and objects they already have in the home to try to stimulate curiosity, motivate the child to move, bringing the room in closer to the child so that if the child is moving arms, legs, or feet, they're going to come in contact with something that may provide an auditory or a tactual stimulus. And so sometimes we do provide little developmental guidelines about how a child with vision develops in all the areas, motor development, fine motor skills, gross motor, sensory. But I think one of the most important things that we can help a parent with is understanding the role of the other senses in development. This is a way for a child with a visual impairment to gather information about the environment, to be able to interpret the input he's hearing, the textures he's feeling, and understanding how to make sense of all of those things. That's wonderful. What additional services are provided through the Educational Services Program for kids and teens? One of the most important services we have available is our low vision examination. For children in school who may need other optical aids that are not available through their own ophthalmologist's office, we are able to take them through a low vision examination. We do a functional vision assessment, a learning media assessment, which helps us to identify their primary literary medium. We take them to a low vision optometrist who works with our agency to conduct a comprehensive evaluation to try different visual aids. And whatever aids the child is comfortable working with, the doctor will prescribe the teachers of the visually impaired provide the training so they know how to use the aid in the classroom and to become more independent with the aid. So I think the low vision exam route is one of the best services education services department provides in addition to providing supplemental materials that they need from the American Printing House for the Blind. Some of the most exciting activities, Brian, are the regional audible egg hunts. We have beeping eggs trying to simulate a real-life experience of a child with low vision being able to participate in an egg hunt. And all the six offices throughout the state of Virginia do have audible egg hunts in the spring, which has been quite exciting. The beeping parts are donated by the International Association of Bomb Technicians and Investigators. And volunteer state police and police officers will assemble these beeping eggs for us. We also do low vision expos where children and parents may come and take a look at the most current optical aids that are available to support them in a learning environment. The Super Summer Camp is for ages eight to 14. This gives the campers a real life camping experience 
they get to live at the camp. They get to do canoeing, archery, horseback riding, and a variety of activities. For the teens at the Rehab Center for the Blind, we offer a life program and a LEAP program. The life program means learning independence and feeling empowered. So it's a five-week residential training program for high school-aged blind and vision-impaired youth. And so they're getting basic training in the skills of blindness and in advocacy skills. Then we have a Leap into College program, which is also a five-week program at the Rehab Center for the Blind in collaboration with Virginia Commonwealth University. And that's an opportunity for rising high school juniors and seniors to assess college readiness skills. Those are some of the programs we do. We also collaborate with the Virginia School for the Deaf and Blind. We have experiential outreach activities, STEM, science, technology, engineering, math activities in Norfolk. We did a JAWS boot camp. There was a James River Nature Tour. And then in November, we're working with the School for the Blind to attend Clementine Musical at the Barter Theater, which will have audio description. Does that help to understand some of the youth services we're providing? It does a lot. And I see that you do work in the community. Before we get into services for the grown-ups, I understand that the department does support local communities and their organizations and give back to the blind community, just as you mentioned with the STEM thing. But I also learned from... WSET-TV, the ABC affiliate in Lynchburg, that DBVI and the Solid Rock Quilters of Rock Baptist Church in Appomattox County, you and the quilters are working together to make a tactile quilt, tactile quilts in fact, plural, for blind and visually impaired kids in the area. Talk about this effort. Oh, I'll be happy to. When I was working with the birth through two population, I was doing some research online and I went to the Perkins School for the Blind and was reading about their early intervention program. They had a program called Blankets for Babies. So I contacted them, found out more about the project, and I wanted to replicate that initiative in Virginia. They said, Please do that. So I called it Tactile Quilts. And so I wanted to incorporate the Tactile Quilts as a part of my intake process with the Department for the Blind and Vision Impaired so that when I would go out to make an initial visit with a family of an infant or a toddler along with a teacher of the visually impaired or representative from early intervention, I would present the family with one of these tactile quilts and I would show them how to use the quilt with the baby. It would be a comfy, warm, cuddly work surface to work with the baby on tactile exploration, learning to use their hands. And one side of the quilt is solid black for presentation of high contrast objects or auditory location of objects. And then the other side of the quilt has nine different squares with varying textures. Some of the squares may have a pocket in it where we could put a little beeping toy. And there are also built-in rings on the quilt that provide some tactile stimulation. So this was one way to try to build and forge a positive relationship with these young families whose children had significant visual impairments. Very innovative. 
Now we're going to talk about the adults. Because we have a lot of adults in the audience listening to this too. Especially late at night. DBVI offers an orientation and mobility program. What are this program's important services? Orientation and mobility is all about enabling children and adults or any client to be able to travel independently and safely. And the services include an assessment of the travel skills, finding out, okay, what does the client need in order to travel safely within the home or outside the home, in the school or the community? And then actually providing training in the techniques, learning to use hearing, touch, and smell to gather information about the world. Also, very key, is understanding spatial concepts to understand the relationship that exists between objects and environment, using the cane to clear a safe path. So there are many types of skills that a student receiving orientation and mobility is going to learn in this type of program. But we want the clients and the children to understand where they are, where they want to go, and how to get there safely and independently, either by walking or using public transportation. What vocational rehabilitation services does DBVI offer for clients to help them get and keep their jobs? One of the most important roles for a vocational rehabilitation counselor will actually be working with students when they reach age 14. The Individuals with Disabilities Education Act requires that transition be addressed beginning at age 14 or earlier, depending on the individual student. And the voc rehab counselors are very instrumental in helping with issues related to transition, whether it's going to be transition to college, transition to an employment training. And as for the adult clients, all the programs in vocational rehabilitation are individualized according to what the client wants to do. They establish a plan with the client to determine what their goals and needs are. And then if it's a work-related goal, part of the role of a voc rehab counselor is to talk about accommodation options that would address work challenges, what kind of equipment may be needed in the work setting so they may perform their work duties. They work with the employer to educate the employer about the accommodation options for the client and the nature of the visual impairment. They also provide work maintenance to make sure the client is going to keep the job sort of checking in with them on a regular basis. And they also provide counseling on how to talk with the employer about the accommodation needs, rights, and responsibilities. So that's also another important part of vocational rehabilitation. After the client gets the job, how long does he or she stay with DBVI? How many they days? Well, I can't tell you an exact number of days or a timeline because it's all specific to the individual client. It's what they need. And the VR counselor is constantly working with the client and the employer to make sure it's a good fit that they're being, um, that they're achieving satisfactory progress on the job. They can perform the job responsibilities and they're being successful. So it's constantly 
checking in with the client, checking in with the employer to make sure it's a good fit or finding out if there is any unmet challenge that has not been addressed yet by our agency. How do our listeners apply for any of DBVI's services? And what's the the intake process and commitment? In the state of Virginia, depending on where you live geographically, we have six regional offices, Bristol, Virginia, Roanoke, Virginia, Stanton, Fairfax, Richmond, and Norfolk. So if you live in the Roanoke area, you would call our main number. You can refer yourself. And it's very helpful to us if you have a current I-report. That little piece of paper helps to expedite the referral process. So it all begins with a phone call to our toll-free number. And then the intake worker would be gathering information from the client who wants to refer himself or herself. Then we would schedule a face-to-face meeting with a DBVI service provider. So from start to finish, the referral process could possibly take up to 45 days. We have 10 days to actually act upon a referral, and then after that, you have 30 days where you would schedule a visit with a potential client to determine what are their goals and what are their needs. And this is for the adults in the audience who wanted to self-refer. What's that toll-free number? The toll-free number is 1-800-622-2155. And that's the number for the main office in Richmond. And they could assist the person to know the geographic office that's closest to their physical address. We'll be putting up that number on the Speaking Out for the Blind website, speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. Anything else you'd like to add? I just want to say I appreciate this opportunity to talk about our agency today because we are dedicated to providing services and resources to empower Virginians who are blind, vision impaired, or deafblind to achieve their desired levels of employment, education, and personal independence. So thank you, Brian, for this opportunity. Jill, we're very excited that DBVI is working for the blind and visually impaired community to help the population live happy and healthy lives. Thanks so much for joining us today. You are very welcome, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. Before we go, I welcome your comments on this program. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind, or follow me on Twitter at Speak Out Blind, or Speak Out for the Blind. You can always check out my website. That's speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look under the list of episodes and show news tab. My new email address is speakout at acbradio.org and my show archive is at acbradio.org slash speaking dash out dash four dash the dash blind. Please note that there is a link located at the top half of the page and below the heading that says home speaking out for the blind where you can subscribe to the podcast feed and listen to Speaking Out for the Blind shows, ranging from episode 94 to the present. That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening, and remember to speak out. 
Here at ACB Radio Mainstream, we are always working to improve the quality of our programming. If you have any feedback about anything you have heard here on ACB Radio Mainstream, please let us know by sending an email to support at acbradio.org. That's support at acbradio.org. You are listening to ACB Radio Mainstream, connecting the blind community. Saturday nights on ACB Radio Mainstream. Mincing. Flipping. Eating. Yummy. Dropping. I want people to not feel so self-conscious, and I think a lot of blind people do. Now I'm going to flip this pancake. Really? Yep. (laughs) Ooh, sorry. We all can make mistakes and laugh about them. Yeah. (laughs) Don't laugh. This is our promo. Whoops. I think we'll have a lot of fun. What else is there to say? Watch for it. Hey, Debbie, you think we did okay? Yes. Every Saturday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern on ACB Radio Mainstream. The American Council of the Blind has established the Legacy Society to honor and recognize individuals who have communicated their intentions to include ACB in their estate plans via a bequest or another type of planned gift. We want to acknowledge individuals for including ACB in their will while they are still living so that we can thank them for their commitment to perpetuating ACB's good work for years to come. Says ACB President Kim Charlson, more information about the Legacy Society and how you can help is available from Tom Tobin, Director of Development at ttobin, T-T-O-B-I-N, at acb.org, or by phone at 800-424-8666, option 5. Thank you for listening to ACB Radio and for considering ACB's future financial needs. ACB Radio.